0: More than 30 years after the apartheid government killed the Craddock Four, Fort Talata, Matthew Goniwe, Sparrow Konto, and Sitelum Flauli, journalists Lucanio and Abigail Talata have embarked on a journey in their book My Father Died for This, to uncover the truth of the real circumstances under which the Craddock Four were murdered. In 1996, seven men appeared before the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, confessing to the killings. Nick van Rensburg. Hermann Duplessis, Saki van Sale, Eric Taylor, Gerardus Lotz, Harold Sneemann and former Flakplas head Eugène de Kock applied for amnesty. They spoke of the unrest in the Eastern Cape in 1985, saying it had necessitated the killings of United Democratic Front leaders. The applicants were all denied amnesty for killing the Craddock Four except for one, Eugène de Kock, also known as Primeval. Yet the other six were neither investigated further nor prosecuted. Madeleine Fullard heads up the National Prosecuting Authority's Missing Persons Task Team and was a TRC researcher. She says it's clear a high level instruction was issued for the Craddock Four to be silenced.
1: You know, the Craddock Four was one of the only cases where there was some documentary evidence that their state action against the individuals had been discussed at a very senior level up to State Security Council and um, that an order had come from on high that they should be permanently removed from society. And of course, debate ensued about what the meaning of permanent removal from society was. But I can't actually think of another case that came before the TRC where (coughs) there was... Documentary evidence that political structures uh, in government, not just the operational individuals at sort of low level within the police, uh, had discussed the matter and had, in a sense, authorised very serious action against the individuals.
0: The operatives carried out that order in the most gruesome way possible on the night of the 27th of June 1985. Abigail Talata says their methods were far more brutal than the men let on.
2: The real truth was evident from the the report, the pathologist's report, I think, and um, forensic pathologists. And Lucano's dad was stabbed multiple times, excessively. So um, there was um, there was evidence of torture. His tongue, for instance, was elongated, you know, indicating that it had been pulled out of his mouth for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the other men's hands was cut off. Um, I think it was Param Conto's hand. Um, One of them was shot, but most of them, three of them, oh, the finger was cut off, Who can you indicates to me. Um, so, uh, yeah, M- Matthew was stabbed. Fort was stabbed. Sicredo um, was stabbed. Um, several Sparrow times, was, it seems. Yeah, more yeah. than seven times, yeah, I s- believe. Several, a number um, of times, yeah. A number of times. Yeah. And, um, I mean, Sparrow was stabbed and shot. Um, and then um, Matthew and Fort's. Bodies were further um, defaced, desecrated. Um, They were set alight. The top parts of their bodies were set alight in order to make identification difficult or impossible.
0: Although previous such operations had been covert, the apartheid police openly displayed the bodies of the Craddock Four and tried to disguise the murders as the result of black-on-black violence. Fulod believes the activists
1: struggled to the bitter end. But the Craddock Fort's evident that they fought. They fought. I think one was actually shot, uh, if I if I remember correctly. Uh, one of the Craddock four actually fought back and was shot, which was a problem because then that disrupted the narrative of the stabbing and the burning um, sort of mode. If, if shooting now enters, it's, it's now sort of taking it into a, a different realm. So I think that... Uh, you know, it was very, very direct, very hands-on, very physical. Um, and, um, yeah, I think the the message to be conveyed was that that if you get involved in politics, this is what will happen to you. Filard's
0: assertions are echoed by former apartheid policeman Paul Erasmus, who exposed the genesis of political killings before the TRC.
3: No attempt was ever made to stop this type of stuff. It it was encouraged. I was in the security branch, I think, three weeks when I participated in the first illegal action. It's it's important to note that that all of these actions, and without exception, every one of these projects was approved at cabinet level. It never will help to say that this was the work of a couple of renegade or radical elements within the structures. I mean, it was the whole system, and the Nationalist Party were at the head of it.
0: Filmmaker David Forbes, parts of whose documentary on the Craddock 4 we've featured, has made it his life's work to retrace the activists' last movements and disseminate the truth of what happened that June night. But he concedes no one's entirely sure of the definitive version.
4: What I think happened was they were arrested at that roadblock because there are two sworn affidavits by a farmer's wife and one of her workers who testify in that... David, that there was a roadblock that night. Outside Blue Water Bay with the railway police, uh, the army, uh, the security police, you know, all the the security forces. I believe what happened is they were stopped there. They were then taken to a nearby military base. They actually didn't know who... uh, Malauuli was mm. so he was taken out and he was um, shot I th- um, think Sparrow was a, a sort of minor activist, not minor in the sense that I'm denigrating him, but he, he wasn't on the hit list that the security forces had. Matthew and Fort were right. on that list. Mm. So Sparrow was just a you know, he was a an awkward witness to all of this. So he was taken to another spot and he was murdered.
0: Forbes recalls the intensity of the search that ensued to find the missing
4: men. People from the families went down to search for the for them and they found the burnt out car at one spot and they found Sparrow and Scullo at different spots about two kilometers apart so then uh, what happened that the families and that searched that whole area didn't find anything else so these two bodies had been found about two or three days later there was you know, there was a whole outcry. So the search had to go on in order to keep up the, the police story that it was black, on black violence. Yes. And about two, three days later, the other two bodies, Fort and Matthew, were found next to each other in that area which, which had been searched. So I think what happened, they were interrogated at that army base and when whatever information had been extracted, or if they had refused, they were beaten to a pulp or whatever. They were then taken, burnt, and their bodies were then dumped. Now, I heard from one of the family members that they had been found with, with their underpants on. So they had been, their bodies had been burnt, and then the underpants had been put on, which means that they weren't burnt at that location, mm-hmm. and of course the grass around them wasn't really burnt either. So you see, there's there's all these inconsistencies in the the police story, and you know the 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 way in which they were murdered just. It really showed you the, the rage that the police had, that these people were just causing so much trouble, we, you know, and the rage and the anger, and I don't know, the, the brutality that the security police used. It was really brutal, 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 brutal.
0: A young print journalist of that time recalls that morning, more than 30 years ago, when she was dispatched to cover the story. The scene still haunts her today and she asked to remain anonymous as she shared her memories with us.
5: I was working for the Herald and and was with a group of journalists taken to hunt for two of the bodies in an area where the other two had already been found um, by fishermen in the dunes outside P.E. We smelt them first and then found them in a clearing in the bush. I had a feeling that the event was a bit staged and that the police knew that we were going to find them. You know, a feeling I'll never really be able to prove. One of the bodies was Matthew Goniwes. I think the other may have been Forts. I think the police with dogs may have found them first. They had been tortured and then burnt and and had been lying in the clearing for several days. So the sweet smell of death and burnt flesh was just awful. You know, a person shrinks when burnt, so they almost looked doll-like. I remember that day I was wearing a, a white jersey and, and a tartan skirt, here, and, and couldn't wear them again. The smell was just, just too horrendous. I remember also seeing a policeman who was throwing up in a nearby bush. He, he couldn't handle it either. The, the image of them, the bodies just lying in the sand with their arms claw-like. That will stick with me forever. You know, that's, that's a lot for you to take in when you're only in your early 20s. What left me even more shaken was that I was later asked to go with the family members of the Craddock 4, so that they could pray at the sight of the deaths. I felt, I felt panic almost and guilt because with the bodies gone I couldn't quite remember exactly where they'd been placed. You know, we all suspected the security police were behind the killings, but you could never prove it. I remember feeling so helpless and just sick with fear that something so terrible could happen to ordinary people who we often interviewed in the press. These were nice, regular men who were just fighting for justice in their community. I must say, I was also so disappointed. I I recently went to the Apartheid Museum and and couldn't find much on them. It's quite possible that I missed it, but I just felt that they deserved a better memorial.
0: David Forbes agrees. Do you think the TRC managed to actually uncover
4: what happened there? No. I think the TRC, which you know I think was a was a good thing uh, and it did um, reveal lots of atrocities and it brought into the daylight lots of of murky stuff, was not able to really get to the heart of the matter because a they didn't have the funding b there was not really the political will for it, and c. It was born within a compromised structure and system. So there are huge gaps in what they were able to do. And um, and then, of course, what was meant to happen afterwards was all the perpetrators who had been denied amnesty were meant to be prosecuted. And, of course, the government just sort of um, delayed that and said... You know, uh, we're still investigating, we're still investigating. Now it's, you know, it's more than 30 years since those murders and it's still being investigated. Well, you know, I don't know, not one of those investigators has ever spoken to me or to any of the family. So, you know, that's just patently a lie perpetrated by the NPA, which is designed to let... Those perpetrators off the hook, because once they get pr- prosecuted, some of them might be telling us things that they know that, you know, that the ANC wouldn't want people to know. Forbes scoured
0: the National Archives for the facts, but says the Justice Ministry and NPA blocked him. He challenged them legally, but the night before the court case... They settled. In hindsight, Forbes says that agreement prevented him from accessing further information on the case. But it did prompt him to visit the governing party's archives in the hope of
4: discovering more. I went down to the the ANC archive at Fort Hay, which has been um, digitised or organised in a way, in a very hierarchical ways I think it's seven levels or whatever so I could only access level one stuff um I could maybe access level two but you know the other levels and especially like level seven which would be the most sensitive stuff is hidden from view and that to me if they were a national liberation movement surely The logic of that says that archive belongs to the people and it should be open to everyone and we should be able to see everything that went on.
0: In recent months, many families whose members died suspiciously during apartheid have asked that inquests be reopened into their deaths. Struggle activist Amit Timol's family has succeeded. Naluganyu Talata and his family are demanding the same. The difficulty is the men who killed the Cradock Four have all died. When you call for a reopening of this case, what more do you believe needs to be uncovered, Luganya?
3: Joanne apartheid is was considered a crime against humanity. To commit a crime against humanity, you cannot have one individual do that. To commit a crime against humanity, you need the complicity of the state, of the politicians, of the generals and those are the individuals that then create this environment that is conducive for those crimes to happen. The manner in which my father was killed was so dastardly mm. it could only be done by people who knew that they were acting in an environment where nothing would happen to them. So they were acting with impunity.
0: Impunity, exactly.
3: And that was the environment that was created by the state. Now, in 1994, at the second inquest into the murders of the Cradock four, Judge Neville Zitzman found that yes indeed the apartheid state was responsible for the murders of the Kraroq 4. He couldn't however pinpoint individuals within the state that were responsible, but he did find that the state, the apartheid government was responsible for the murders. Now we need to determine who in the apartheid government are the people responsible not the ones that were there on the on the night not the ones that did the stabbing and 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 poured the petrol and did the torture yes they are equally to blame but the ones that must carry the torch are the ones that created the environment the ones that issued the instructions and those are the people the generals adrian flock who was deputy minister of both police and defence at the time, F. W. de Klerk was minister of education. He set in on meetings of the state security council where they were discussing what to do about the fate of these two teachers from the small little town in the eastern Cape called Cradock. There is a gen the the, the, the army generals, the defence force generals, Christoffel. Joffel van der Vesteisen, who was at the time the, the commander of the Eastern Province Joint Management Center, he's never ever been to court to answer for his role, to answer for the instruction that he issued that the for, that, that Matthew Goniwa, Fort Kalata and Mbulelo Goniwa must be permanently removed from society. F. W. de Klerk, today is sends emails and documents and talks about um, democracy. Who is the clerk to talk to us about democracy? Since when did he become the bastion of democracy? Adrian Flock goes around and apologizes to people and he washes people's feet, yet Adrian Flock, who was in Craddock on the 5th of June 1985 hasn't been to Craddock to go and apologize to those people.
2: Hmm.
3: On the 6th of June, a day after Adrian Flock was in Craddock, he went and he chaired the Eastern Pro- the, a, a meeting of the Eastern Province Joint Management Center. That was on the 6th. On the 7th, that office where he was then issued the signal, sending it to the State Security Council recommending that my father Kalat, is two comrades Matthew Goniwa and Bulalo Goniwa be permanently removed from society what was the clerk's input in those meetings though of the State Security Council what was his input in those cabinet meetings where we know that these matters were discussed what was his input when the agenda item Credoc, Matthew Goniwa, Fort Kalata, were raised in the meetings, of uh, in those cabinet meetings. What was his input? What did he say? So these are the people that we must go after.
0: As Madeleine Fullard points out, there is evidence that may support this. The
1: whole approach that, say, F.W. de Clerken and others had tried to argue was that the killing of activists and the... Um, torture and so on, was the result of just a few bad apples in the mm. security structures, okay? Which means that, you know, it was just a few renegade individuals. Uh, I think they tried to portray also Eugene de Kock as a sort of renegade who just sort of did his own thing without authorization. Um, but the Cradock 4 really shows the links between the political structures of governance in South Africa at the time, the apartheid government, uh, cabinet ministers and... and the, the State Security Council was the second highest structure in the land, second only to cabinet. So for, for that level of uh, discussion to have taken place uh, and in a sense authorization of very serious action, however you interpret that very serious action against individuals, was was very significant and important.
0: Fort latter's wife, Nomonde, says she'll find no closure until justice is served.
1: feel terribly angry with the people who have murdered my husband because the truth commission was there. Nothing happened. The amnesty hearings was there. Nothing happened. Till today, nothing happened.
0: David Forbes says he understands the pain of these families because he's witnessed the aftermath of their tragedy firsthand.
4: You know, I just can't imagine having to relive that stuff over and over and over every year. And yeah, perhaps with the years it recedes slightly. But the South African government, the ANC government, never gave them a single day's counselling. All that they got was a monetary compensation I think from the TRC as victims which um, they used to buy houses or educate the children but even that was a was a tiny amount it was about 300 thousand rand or whatever it's nothing and um, you know it just makes me so angry that that you know this this liberation movement turned government which Claims to care for people and it claims to be humanist and abolish the death penalty and all these good things and a new c- constitution that respects people and o- has not done anything to actually help them. So, you know, that's that's scandalous, absolutely scandalous.
0: Abigail Dalata says the family wants to
2: ensure the hurt ends here. We are on their journey now. We, um, we will not be swayed in any way, we, we are determined. Because now we're not only doing it for ourselves, there's the next generation. We are adamant that our son Kwesi yes. and his cousins be relieved from this burden that we've been carrying ever since Ford's death and the manner in which he died. So we're doing it for ourselves, pursuing justice. We're doing it for our children. And I do believe that South Africa would also be a much better place if those people who did such horrible things, devised such horrible ends for their fellow South Africans, were called to answer.